and welcome back to the Angel Investors Access Show. On this series, we talk to startups, angel investors, VC firms, mentors, coaches, and stakeholders that play a part in the Australian entrepreneurial ecosystem. Proudly brought to you by C2 Angels, helping build a community of like-minded, aspiring angel investors right across Australia and beyond. Have you booked your angel opportunity investment discovery session yet? If not, what are you waiting for? Become an angel investor today and visit c2angels.com. And now let's head to the next episode and join me with our special guest. Well, welcome back everyone to another episode of Angel Investors Access with your host Brandon Burns from C2 Angels. I'm particularly excited about today's guest because he is joining us from Sydney, Australia, but quite often you can find him over in Silicon Valley getting amongst it. It's investor, strategist, business builder, technologist, and the co-founder at EV Network, Paul Fox. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Brandon. Yeah, great, great to be here. Mate, it's our pleasure to have you, and thank you for giving us your precious time. Um, we're thrilled to be able to tell your story and really provide a reference structure today for our audience of aspiring angels. And it's great to have someone who's really lived and breathed in the startup ecosystem, both here and abroad. One thing we love to do at the start of the show is really paint a picture for our listener who's on the treadmill or driving. Yeah. And we'd love to hear from you. What does a typical day in the life of Paul Fox look like? <laughs> I mean, that's, a, that's a really good question. And, and, and maybe the answer would be somewhat different pre-COVID. Pre um, totally. But... But yeah, it's 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 the balance, you know. I I uh, yeah, my ideal my ideal day starts uh, pretty early. I'm up at at five five thirty. If I can actually get to the beach for a surf, I, I I like to do that, and then you know come back, quick breakfast, and and into it. Um, you know, since the beginning of the year, I've I've been you know this year I've been doing a few different things. So I was on the board of an ASX listed fintech. Um, yep. Involved in some uh, blockchain VC fund and a uh, over in San Francisco and a, and some local uh, blockchain players, but probably most of my time's been on EV Networks, and you know it's a company that that I co-founded. You know at the beginning it, it was just me and a very supportive investor, and we've we've grown that. We've got 18 people in the team now, and each time I hire someone, my, my day you know in theory my job gets smaller. Um, yep. You know, hired, hired a top-notch CTO, uh, a guy that, you know, was one of the early uh, designers of the, the Tesla Roadster. Um, hired a CEO, comes wow. out of the telecom industry and has deployed, you know, 50,000 cell towers. So he can really deploy these EV charging stations. But, you know, funnily enough, you know, I, I keep hiring people, but the work doesn't <laughs> go away. Um, it, it changes. And I think I spent a lot of my time thinking about the future, uh, evangelizing the task, you know, men mentoring the team, you know, spending time with the team and uh, helping them design the absolute best products for, for our customers and, um, uh, and hiring people. I mean, that's another big one. We've just hired a, a CFO. Um, you know, she's, she's just got a, just an amazing background at uh, NBN and Origin and, um, you know, used to work for, you know, the big, big investment banks and things like that. So, uh, and that's a big pleasure as well is, you know, uh, 
Yeah, it's always tough hiring. You talk to a lot of people, but each, each person's got a story, each person you can learn from. And, um, you know, sometimes it's really, really tough at the end to, to choose, you know, who, who's, who's the best possible person for a team. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was just on the phone to someone down in South Australia who wants to arrange an industry event and is w wondering how South Australia can get, um, you know, get on the, the, the electric bandwagon, you know, uh, yep. how, how does, you know, what used to be a car industry down there, um, you know, get with the future? Um, how, how does, you know, one of the most renewable intensive grids in the country uh, benefit from having electric vehicles out there, you know, batteries on wheels, essentially. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, it's, it, it can be a pretty, a pretty varied, a varied day, I guess. Um, you know, I kind of, um, these days, I try to play to my strengths. And, you know, I talk about investor, strategist, business builder, technologist, and I, you know, I'll kind of shift between those different, different focus areas and functions and, and, you know, yep. always try and think, you know, what is the most important thing that I can mm. be working on right now? Um, Love that, mate. Excellent. Sounds like you're living a pretty optimal day. Um, you talked about the people element then, and yeah. I think that's particularly interesting for our audience yeah. and something that you've probably gotten better at identifying. With early stage investing, we all seem to know how important the people element is. Yeah. But I'd be interested to know, do you have a certain set of guidelines or rules that you follow personally that help you get to a yes or no quicker when you're looking at an opportunity and a founder, you know, and the whole package? Yeah, that's kind of it. I mean, you actually phrased it in an interesting way. You said, how do you get to an answer quicker? And, you know, that's a really good question. And I think sometimes that's the bit that's hard, hardest to do the quick, do fast. So, you know, people say there is, you know, technology market team are the three key things to look at, but, but actually it's team, team and team. And I think if I look back on my investing history and um, startups that I've worked with personally, you know, it's always really, you know, a lot of time it's been the team. You know, we, we've had bad timing, we've had stupid ideas, you know, all those kinds of things, but but often it's the team that takes an otherwise good um, uh, project down. Um, but it can take time to really understand a team and, and a founder and yep. understand their strengths and weaknesses. And a founder is an in interesting thing. The, the ideal founder is both incredibly adaptable and incredibly stubborn. And so that, <laughs> what a combo. You know, that's, how, how do you do that? You know, how do you bring those two <laughs> things together? You know, uh, I think that, you know, an ideal founder is, is often really good at finding advisors, getting advice, finding mentors, mentors, and then using their input to, to plug it into what they're building, to what they're designing. And I, so I think, you know, if, if you feel, in, in some ways, if you feel like the entrepreneur is pumping you for knowledge and information um, and you've got some knowledge of their area, the domain area they're interested in, that's actually a pretty good sign. If you see, yeah. if you see them adapting their story, not, not just, you know, meeting your objections like a sales guy might, you know, oh, you know, 
how do I answer the five objections? Well, one, two, three. Well, but that's not what a really good founder does. They're really trying to get behind it, find out how do they um, adapt, iterate towards the right answer. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's a big part of it. And sometimes it takes time. You know, you look at the average VC, you know, from the time that you meet a VC till the time that you get money from that VC, six, nine months. Yeah, well, this is some kind of hot unicorn that's, you know, that there's some sort of a, a, a competition to invest. It, it takes a long time. And a lot of that time is getting to know each other. Yep. Um, and Love it's it. important because you're going to be seeing, you know, every month you're going to be in a boardroom, you know, with, with the founder, with their other investors. So you better, you better the hell like the other investors too. And, mm -hmm. and you're going to go through some really tough times. And so sometimes it's those tough times where we, where we, uh, where you really find out. Um, yeah. And it can be, um, you know, it's often a failure of adaptation. You know, we can't do everything. You know, I spent a fair bit of my career trying to be, you know, going for the glamour role. You know, be the I'm going to be a CEO. You know, and kind of late in life, well, actually, you know, CEO's job, a lot of it, you know, ninety nine percent. You know, grind one percent inspiration, um, yeah. and you know maybe that's not my uh, my best suit. You know, I'm I'm good at getting stuff going, getting stuff off the ground, pulling in the people. Um, yeah, you know, helping with the vision, but um, but sometimes founders don't always see you know see their personal limitations, and it took me a long time to see my personal limitations. So I shouldn't yep. be too surprised about that. Um, well, yeah. Well, Whilst we're on that point, because you've brought up a really, a really key thing. Once you recognise your personal limitations yeah. and you overcome that fear of not holding uh, strengths in other areas, yeah. what do you do next? Yeah, you've got to find, I mean, you, you, well, you've got to find complementary people. You've, you've, got to, you've got to find those, um, uh, those people that plug the gaps that you can work with. You know, sometimes they're people you've known for a while. You know, I've, I've often uh, worked, you know, people have come back to me and brought me into things and I've come back to people and brought them back because you, you start to develop trust in, in someone. And, you know, within a startup and between a startup and as a board, trust are really important. So, yeah, um, yeah. so I think bringing in the right people, but also sort of knowing what, what it is you need. So, um, so you probably, you know, the Myers-Briggs test, there's a, there's a particular, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an ENTJ, okay? So they have, a, they have little nicknames for all the different, uh, the different styles. And so I've known that for a long time because someone ran that test on me way back. And, um, but, but perhaps only three years ago, uh, um, a coach, a, a, a business coach told me, uh, said, well, you, you, you're an ENTJ, you really should go and find someone who's an SF or you should find someone who's a, so they kind of told me where to look mm. in personality types to, to, to fit. Now, you put me with one of those people, I I'm, might not always agree with them. I might find it hard to, to think the way they think, but they're actually filling in the gaps. So... I think that's yeah. the other thing is sort of realizing that you need that kind of diversity of thought, 
diversity of background, gender, whatever, in a team as well. And um, I think one of my one of my saddest investments was where we 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 had a brilliant CEO, like a technically brilliant CEO, and we just couldn't we couldn't tip it over into the next stage, the next level. He he wouldn't let go and let a you know a professional CEO who had perhaps the stronger sales and marketing and people management skills come alongside and sure he met with lots of them um, yeah and uh, but but they're always wrong they were always not the right right one and in the end you know we ended up selling that company to a, um, a another I don't know, a much larger company but but not for the not for what we could have got if we had really turbocharged it, but you know it was just impossible. We couldn't turbocharge it with the team, and the team couldn't adapt. Yeah, um, great point. So yeah, exit, but but not a good exit. So <laughs> <laughs> I right, mate. At least you started with the end in mind, hey? <laughs> well, yeah. Every 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 single one has to start with that end in mind. Yeah, I think that's 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 pretty key. So the team is pretty important. I mean, I'm also a believer in in um, you know, I'm a believer in uh, process, and there's there's you know uh, one of you know one of the great thinkers I think in this space is is Professor Stephen Blank at Stanford. So he's the guy that originally conceived of the sort of lean startup methodology. He um, he, he wasn't that great on um, communicating it. Uh, and so really Eric Reese was the guy that did that. And so I think, you know, read Eric's book, but then Eric doesn't kind of get into the detail. And actually in that book, there is a case study on a company that I invested in. And wow. what, what was interesting, you know, why I invested in that company was, you know, I didn't believe in their initial product market. Uh, I, I really didn't think it would work, but I was so impressed by the founder's approach to, to developing that market out and getting it validated and so forth that, that I kind of realized he was a guy that was going to uh, make this company work, that he, he would find a way, he would find a, a problem solution fit, product market fit, he'd work out how to scale it. And um, yeah, as it happens, can you name the company? Uh, it was a company called Alphabet Energy, and it's in in Eric Reese's wow. book. It was ultimately, it, you know, in some ways, it was ultimately a, a victim of um, the crash in um, natural gas prices in the in the United States because we we brought in uh, an investor. In fact, the founder uh, found these guys, and they were a Canadian. Um, oil and gas company and uh, it sometimes happens you know with corporates and I've been a corporate VC as well as a financial VC um, you know they lose interest and you know when when the ass fell out of the the gas market in the US it's got massive oversupply due to fracking and nasty stuff like that um, you know they basically killed off their venture capital arm and so we just lost one of our major investors. And uh, yeah, some of the others, we had TPG in there. Um, uh, so we had some, some big name investors, but you know, it, it kind of uh, you know, sort of killed the company. You know? and, I mean, there's, 
Yeah, I hate to talk about an individual company in some ways because there are so many different factors that, that can um, impact on your startup. But, but if, you've got, if you've got a good founding team, you've got a chance because they can, you know, they're, they're the ones that can iterate their way out of it. Um, yep, yep, love that. Yeah. Can, you, can you think back to um, when you wrote your first check and yep. sort of how you were feeling and what made you really compelled to want to get started on your angel investing journey? So, I, well, I, so I'm not, I don't really consider myself an angel investor. Um, so I've been, a, a, so I've run a conventional VC fund as a, as a general partner. I have um, uh, been a corporate VC. So I was at AGL Energy and I did quite a few deals at AGL Energy. Uh, and I've supported a family fund. Um, and so I've sort of seen, and they've all, they all invest in different ways. And, and in some ways, maybe the family fund is the closest to the angel because I think angels, angels invest for, for quirky reasons, you know, it, it, and that's, that must be how it is. You know, I, I believe if, if you're, if you're an angel, don't just be invest investing for, for, for the money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, invest because you love it. Invest because you you can um, you can make a difference. Uh, you know, is it a hobby? Is it is it a, a way of making impact? Uh, is it a way to socialise, meet you know, really stimulating people, your co-investors and your founders and so on? But I think that's the reasons to to invest. And sure, you can, you know, the data shows that you can. Uh, you know, angel investing is actually you know, one of the more, luc- more lucrative um, levels. So there's a really good study done by the Kaufman Foundation in, in the States on angel investing. Um, so, but you know, it shows some clear things that you know, you, you, you've got to do really good due diligence. You've got to know the space or have someone in the DD team that knows the space. So invest with friends. <laughs> and yep. um, uh, there was a third one, which I've forgotten. I used to, so, so when I was in, when, when I was in the States, we, we, um, so I, I got there, I was in doing high volume electronics manufacturing. So working with a Singaporean company and we exited to a big American company and, and that's sort of what, what that was kind of my introduction to Silicon Valley. And then, uh, so having arrived at this quite large company, it was like, well, what, what, what's to do now? And uh, clean energy became like the exciting next space. And it really appealed to me in terms of the difference that could be made. So, so got involved in, and people were casting around, you know, just, we'd just gone through 1999, uh, 2000 period, you know, massive boom, massive bust. Um, But there was a lot of money sloshing around, like all this money had been raised by funds it was sloshing around. No one knew what to do with it. They tried nanotech. They tried all these different areas. And finally, um, there was some big IPOs. Uh, uh, there was a big solar IPO in the US, um, uh, so, um, in SunPower in Europe. Um, was uh, man, my my brain is. Um, <laughs> There's been a lot. Anyway, there was these three big IPOs, one on each continent. Everyone. And then Al Gore was out there saying, you know, inconvenient truth. And literally the month that, and he'd been on the road for a while, but the month that 
it was released in theaters. This, there was this huge boom of investment into clean energy in, in Silicon Valley. And um, I'd already done three, three energy tech startups by then, so I completely missed that boom. But what <laughs> I did see were all these startups and investors coming into the space, eager to learn. And so what, when we created the CalCEF Seed Fund, we, we, you know, we, we made it part of our mission to educate angel investors and bring them across into this, this new investing space because everyone was keen to do it. But they, they knew about telecoms, they knew about semiconductors, they knew about life science. They didn't really know about the energy industry. And you know, to be honest, there were some massive mistakes made by really big name VCs because they assumed that a solar panel was the same as a semiconductor, that biodiesel was the same as a life science. And it's just not, it's a very different type mm -hmm. of industry. And, and so initially we started, we tried to start our own um, angel network. And then we, we realized that all these, you know, really storied angel networks in Silicon Valley, like Band of Angels and, and so on, were, were kind of getting a little upset with us. And so we said, okay, <laughs> what we'll do is we'll work with them, we'll work with them. And, um, and some of them, uh, you know, actually became LPs in our funds. And the great thing about having these characters is a lot of them came out of an entrepreneurial background themselves, or they were technical experts, well, they knew an industry really well. You know, they could have been a salesperson. They could have been a, you know, whatever. And so they were actually coming in and helping do those deals. And they were coming in advising us or they were. So um, that, that particular company, Alphabet Energy, was, mm -hmm. was my first ticket. And I, I did a massive amount of DD on it. Because that's one thing I understood is you've got to do your DD. We spent quite a bit of time getting to know the founder and the team. Um, yeah. But, but I always try to be of this mindset that I will cut and run at any point. Yeah, yep. that's, that's kind of one of my rules of investing. Just be ready to cut and run because, you know, and I've seen it several times where at some point, you know, here's the thing. It's got to be love at first sight. Because everything you hear after, you know, the first pitch is bad news. If you're doing good yeah. diligence. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you've really got to believe. You've got to take that leap of faith. But it's very easy as you've gone through a whole bunch of due diligence to really get invested in the company. And, and then, you know, something will come up in DD and it's a red flag. And that's the point where you're going to say, okay, well, I've, I've done a lot of due diligence. I've done the analysis. I've done my own independent spreadsheet of the forecast or the finances. Um, but, you know, I'm feeling it here, feeling it in my gut. And my intuition is telling me, you know, pull the ripcord, get out of here. Um, and you've got to listen to that. You know, I think you've absolutely got to listen to those, those red flags because um, it's very easy to get carried away. Um, so right, I've been absolutely. guilty of that. Yeah, cool technology, charismatic founder, you know, massive market opportunity. Um, you know, one deal I, I really wanted to do, really like the founder, and I and I um, we actually pulled out because of one of the co-investors. We just got a really bad feeling, and so our model, being a small investor, and we didn't want to get washed out over time. And this is mm -hmm. also a problem facing many angels. Um, is that we, we would uh, 
would we would syndicate every deal and we'd go and look for a, a, a you know a, a more well-known investor who perhaps didn't understand the area as well as us but but would be keen to co-invest and you know mm-hmm. i've been in the valley a few years by then so i was able to kind of bring those people in um yeah, and I actually brought this guy in, brought the, this guy to the deal, and then I just got a really bad feeling. Um, and well, then there was a few, you know, we had a few uh, syndicate meetings and got a really bad feeling about it. And then we sort of pushed the point to test that and got a bit of a bad reaction. And we sort of pulled out, and I was sort of called the founder and said, you know, I've just got to apologize, but I, I can't, no, I can no longer participate in this particular deal. Well, so you've got to, you know, sometimes you just got to trust a bit of gut. You just not get mm. too carried away by the, the excitement of, of getting a deal done. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, we are running out of time at a rapid rate. So for those watching and listening to our episode, we are going to hold Paul to a part two. Maybe we even might turn it into a trilogy because there's just so <laughs> much we could talk about here. And, I haven't even got through my list of 10 questions, but but this has been great because it's just exactly what we wanted to really get an insight into your journey and and experience. Maybe, maybe if we had to sum this um, part of the series up with a question to really leave our listeners thinking about the next episode, that would be if you had to summarize why someone who's on the edge considering writing their first check and getting involved and becoming an angel, why would you say yes go for it and get involved what would be the compelling reason why it's a good question i mean i think i think number one uh, can you afford to lose the money <laughs> right <laughs> so um number yeah you know, i think you know i think often the way to do it is you you, you get involved with an angel group mm-hmm. you get to know the people in the angel group you say to yourself I'm not going to do a deal for maybe six months. I'm literally, but but I'm going to, um, I'm going to work with teams. I'm going to participate in due diligence. I'm going to you know, learn, and then when I see the the deal, I I really like. Uh, I'm I'm going to jump in on it, and and I'll kind of know why I like it. I'll know why I think it works. I'll know how I, perhaps I can add some value. Um, yeah. I think these, these are the things that you've got to look for. I think it's, it's kind of got to be aligned. And why I say don't, you know, say to yourself, I'm not going to invest for six months, is that you've got a lot of learning to do. And, um, you know, it, it is of its nature, I think, angel investing is, is one, it's very local. You know, there's a reason why you you know you don't participate in angel deals in in the US because you know you, you can't you're too far away to add value you know you can't go to a board meeting you can't do these things so I kind of feel that you um, it's it's got to be local so I think it tends to be within your city um, it, it if if you see a deal that's got your has reflects your personal background in some way, that's fantastic. Um, that's a great first deal to do. And so then it's really about that first deal, finding that first, the first opportunity. And sometimes you'll be lucky um, and it'll be one of the earliest deals you see, in which case you go ahead. But hopefully you've kind of learned enough 
you've learned from your peers, you've perhaps had a little bit of content um, pushed at you. There's plenty of information out there on, on how to do due diligence, what things to look for, things like that, but learn. And so, so get involved, you know, get up, you know, perhaps getting off the sideline is just getting involved. You don't have to score a, you know, a goal. Um, yeah. Yeah. On your first game, <laughs> you can, you can go out there and play, you know, so. Paul Fox, you've been a gem. We're going to have to pick this up and do a couple more because we just haven't had enough of your precious time. Um, thank you for being on the show. And just to leave our listeners with something to check out when they tune into the next episode, what's that um, domain or URL for your current um, venture? So, so right now, well, I mean, let's, let's say you've seen the stuff spewing out of the tailpipes of, of cars and trucks, you know, and we kind of accept that, but we're actually breathing it. And you know, New South Wales road toll from emissions is 67% higher than the road toll from accidents. Wow. Now, that is just unbelievable. That comes from New South Wales Health. Um, on top of that, 19% of our carbon emissions come out of those tailpipes. So we've really got to fix that problem. You know? On top of that, we can fi- when we fix it, we will add $3.2 billion to our GDP just from the light vehicles, never mind medium and heavy. So there's a massive opportunity. And, and so what EV Networks is doing is building shared infrastructure for electric mobility. So pretty soon, you know, if you order a taxi, an Uber or a delivery vehicle, it's gonna be electric and it has to charge wow. somewhere. And so that's what we're doing. We're building a nationwide infrastructure of charges. Um, we've got $50 million committed to that task already. Um, and we've already deployed highway charging stations between Melbourne and Townsville, and, and we're now focused on, on the cities. So it's very exciting. You know, it has impact, um, but it's also harnessing you know, technology and, and capitalism to, to do good, and that's what I love to do. Love it. Paul Fox, you've been a gem. Thanks for your time, Welcome. and look Thanks. forward to picking this back up. Thanks, Brandon. No worries. Take care now. And that's all we have time for today on the Angel Investors Access Show, your series with Brandon Burns from C2 Angels. If you're thinking about becoming an angel investor and you don't know where to start, then you know exactly where to head, c2angels.com, and book your angel investment opportunity discovery session now. Until next time, I'm Brandon Burns, and I'll catch you later.